0: I'll say a little bit more as we get into the Word, which I wanted to <laughs> get into the Word. Um, so if you'd open your Bibles to Colossians 3, as we finish off this sermon series, we have uh, been talking about the Tupperware Gospel, and uh, where, where we've been, church, and, and uh, we've been meditating on for four Sundays. I don't know who said this, but, but it, it struck me about how... It struck me about how we approach the Christian life and, and the way we go about here at New Community. Um, someone, once said that, someone once said that the single belief most toxic to a relationship, any relationship, is the belief that the other person can't change. Like if you're in a relationship with somebody... And you believe that that person will never change or you can't change. Like, that's a toxic belief that, that hinders that relationship. And then I thought about our relationship with God. You realize that one of the most toxic things to our relationship with God is when you want to come to believe, I'll never change. I'll never be different. This is who I am. I can't tell you for 20-some years as a pastor how many Christians I've talked to for whom that is their stumbling block. I don't know if I'll ever change. I don't know if I could ever be different. I don't know if I'll ever overcome these sins in my life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That, in our relationship with God, is an enormous barrier. Now, the question is not can we change the question that the scripture goes over and over again is how then does this transformation change and let me put let me put a mental picture for For many of us for many of us the way we visualize change in the christian life is this i come to the altar and i am saved by the gospel of grace but once i walk away from the altar the gospel becomes something entirely different That, dear I say, is toxic to the Christian life. It's not even biblical. It's unbiblical to go. I am accepted and, and, and become a Christian, a child of God, by this gospel of grace, this amazing gospel of grace. But once I'm done with that salvation thing and I walk away, it's another thing entirely. That approach is toxic the Christian life. So then you go, well, that's not what I believe. Yes, it is what you believe. That is what I believe. And that's why our Christian life, persons like this are found all over the Bible and we miss it. Colossians 2, which is the book, the book we've been in. Paul says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, salvation, altar, gospel of grace. What does he say? Continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith in Him, and overflowing with thankfulness in Him. The gospel doesn't just bring you into the kingdom. It also advances you in the kingdom. The gospel doesn't make you be born into the kingdom. The gospel also grows you into the kingdom. The most dangerous thing in christianity that i see in many evangelical circles is that we get half the gospel we get half the gospel we get half the gospel we are saved by the gospel of grace we get that but then it becomes something entirely different when i walk away and the bible says it could not be more different we are saved by gospel of grace we grow by the gospel of grace we mature by the gospel of grace We are strengthened in the faith in the gospel of grace. We, we, you never graduate from the school of grace. Do you understand that? I could be a follower of Jesus for a thousand years. When I get up tomorrow, I'll need the gospel of grace just as much as I needed it the first day I decided to follow him. A thousand years. When we miss out on this, Christianity turns into something different. Um, Paul says that we need the gospel every day because we forget the gospel every day. And the essence of the Christian life is learning to go deeper and deeper into the gospel of grace and applying the gospel to every facet of life. And listen to me, if you come to our church and you hear preaching, That is not. That is not. This is what the gospel is, and this is how you apply it on a regular basis. You call us out. You go, that, I need more of the gospel and how it applies to my life, Peter. Don't preach. That's why you will, in this church, never hear a four-part sermon series on how to deal with worry. Because the problem is not that we shouldn't. We all know we shouldn't worry. The problem is fundamentally we are not applying the gospel into the areas of our lives that is causing the worry. You don't need me to go part one, don't worry. Why? Part two, you're a Christian. So part three, have more faith. And part four, go do it. You don't need that. Why? It doesn't work. Colossians three one. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. There he goes. He's talking about the gospel of grace. He's drilling it into your heads and mind. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Not on earthly things. Verse 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears. Then you also will appear with him in glory. At the moment of salvation. Paul says we are so identified with Jesus. That whatever happened to Jesus. God sees as happening to us it's like God sees us as participating in the work of Christ in his death resurrection and ascension and we've tried to articulate this truth by using this silly illustration which I hope helps you here's what we have been talking about I'm not going to go through the whole thing it's going to be a one minute presentation because we spent two Sundays on it the Bible says that you and I are in sin sin is in us and we are in sin but what does God do the Bible says that he, there's Jesus, he transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves. This is what Paul is saying when he says, you have died, you have died, you have died to sin because of Christ. You have died to the power of sin. You have died to the penalty of sin. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And we've been saying that this is your new spiritual zip code. This is your spiritual address. That means that when God sees you, right now, Sunday morning, he mostly sees Jesus. Just think about that for a second. Lydia, is that awesome, powerful too? That when God sees you, right now he says, I mostly see Jesus. That means whatever Jesus has access to, You have access to wherever Jesus is. You are. And this powerful truth that when God sees you right now, he sees you as holy, as blameless, as righteous, as pure as Jesus. He sees you as holy, as righteous, blameless, pure as Jesus. This isn't, listen, tomorrow when you actually act holy, righteous. This is right now. God sees you this way. Do you believe it? I love this quote. Uh, I think it's by a dude named Watchman Nee. Outside of Christ, I'm only a sinner. Now, see the, read this together, ready? Outside of Christ, I'm only a sinner. But in Christ, I'm saved. Outside of Christ, I'm empty. In Christ, I'm full. Outside of Christ, I'm weak. In Christ, I'm strong. Outside of Christ, I cannot. In Christ, I'm more than able. Outside of Christ, I've been defeated. In Christ, I'm already victorious. How meaningful are the words in Christ? Oh, but I know that. No, you don't. I understand it. No, you don't. Do you know how different we would be if we truly understood this? Do you know how courageous you would be? Do you know how grateful you would be? Do you know how thankful? Do you know how amazingly awed by who Christ is in you? Do you know how different we would be? We wouldn't be upset for criticism. We wouldn't be upset for child suffering. This truth of Christ in me, me in Christ, hidden in God. Is knowledge and information. It has not sunk down deep. And the challenge of the Christian life, Paul says, is getting this truth and getting it sunk down deep. Sunk down deep. Sunk down deep. In Christ. Christ in me. Verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, beauty of the gospel, put to death, therefore. The gospel message is a message unlike any other religious message. Why? Because it compels you to do good, not in order to be accepted. It compels you to do good because what? You're already accepted. You know why I love that word, therefore? Therefore. You guys have heard me say this. Religion says what? I obey, therefore, I'm accepted. And Paul says, no, 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 you're accepted, holy, righteous, blameless in Christ, therefore, do these things. If that dynamic was at work in you and in me, if some of you didn't sit here and go, oh, I know about those men, don't be moral, don't be sexually immoral, don't lust, don't be don't, don't have greed, don't add anger. And I'm working on it, I'm working on it, I'm working on it, I'm working on it. Why? Because unless I work on it, and I'm like this, I'm like that, then God won't accept me. Good Lord, if that is at work in your heart, if that's the engine, that religiosity of if I do, if that is at work in your heart you are constantly up against the ceiling. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not the gospel. I spent four verses, Colossians 1 through 4, saying, this is who you are. Verse 5, therefore, your acceptance, settled. Therefore. Would that change your motivation? Yes? Yes? Would you feel differently about obedience if you understood that? Of course it would. Paul goes on. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, put to death. Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all sorts of things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. How does the gospel advance you in the kingdom? How does it advance you into kingdom? What's Paul's whole point? How does it do it? What saves you is what grows you. He says, this is how you grow in the gospel. Two words we said last week, remember? Digging down and looking up. Digging down and looking up. The thing that ails us is what? We talked about this. Epithumia, inordinate desire, and what? Idolatry. Idolatry. Some of you guys emailed me and talked to me after the search and said, oh, I know, I can relate. Oh, some of you came and said, that is my problem, Peter. It's not that I don't know how to balance my life. It's not that I don't know, I need to love my wife. It's not that I have an anger issue. It's that I know these things, but the problem is there's this underneath thing. It's idolatry. It's identity and something else besides God. It's this or- inordinate desire for something. But listen, I talked to the guy who said to me, I never thought I'd be a liar. I never thought I'd be somebody who would lie and be untruthful. I said, what happened? Here's his story. He aspired for this certain career and job. He got it. Before he knew it, that work, that job became his identity. It became his salvation. So you know what he did? Not only did he start overworking, when it came down to either I cut corners, kind of tell kind of truth, and move up the corporate ladder, or I stay where I am, he says, Past it before I knew it, I started half-truth. I started compromising on moral convictions that I never, I used to look at people like that and go, how can a Christian, that became me. Why? Why do you think idols and things that we place in identity besides God have such power over us? It's human. If there is something about what you're saying, you're my identity, you're my significance, you are my worth. Do you know how powerful that thing is in your life? You will live for it. You will serve it. You will work for it. You will cut corners for it. You will lie for it. You will cheat for it. You will compromise your convictions for it. And we turn into somebody that we thought, that I never thought would be me. What is yours? What's your idol? So in Kierkegaard. Idol is anything we put identity besides God. What's your idol? What is this thing that is at work in you saying, you must have it, you have to have it. What is it? What is it? Money. What is it? Approval. What is it? Status. What is it? Achievement. What is it? I have to have it. I must have it. It's my precious. (laughs) What is it? Why do you think that theme in that movie is so powerful? Because every single one of us in this room, we have that thing where we're going, this is my precious. I must have it. I have to have it. You know what it is for me? It's being a preacher. It's being a pastor. It's being affirmed. You know what it's done to me? When you preach a bad sermon, you go home and you think about it all day. And you go, what, I could have done differently. I could have said that differently. Uh, What if they don't come back? Uh, So what happens to deal with my insecurity? I do what you do. I go, I'm just going to work harder. And what happens when I work harder? The Bible talks about comprehensive death. Death spiritually, death emotionally, death physically, death relationally. I work hard. My relationships are getting strained. My relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my staff, my relationship with my friends. What is going to silence that voice that's inside your head, my head, that says, you have. It's the other voice that Henry Nouwen talks about, which is what. Peter, do you realize you're God's beloved? Do you realize you're righteous, holy, blameless in him? Do you realize that when he sees you, he sees you as holy, righteous, blameless Jesus, Do you realize that because you're in Christ, God loves you as much as he loves his son, Jesus? Do you realize the only verdict that really matters in your life has already been given by the only person that matters? But it's not real to me. And it's not real to you. So we continue at it. When you go home this week and you think about, why am I so angry? Why am I so upset? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so bitter? Why am I, instead of going, well, I got to deal with my anger. What are the three steps? Well, I got to deal with my worry. What are the ten steps? Ask yourself this question. What am I warming myself at? What's the fire I'm warming myself at? What am I saying about if that fire goes out, I'm dead meat? If that fire goes out, I'm dead meat. What is that? Identify it as digging down. And then the Bible says, then turn to Christ. You have to. You have to do this every day. You have to do this every day. You have to go, that is not my righteousness. That is not my fire. Money. Money. Status, achievement, affirmation, codependency, relationships, sex, power, status, beauty, attractiveness. That car, that, that's not my righteousness. That's not where I warm myself at. Christ is my righteousness. Jesus is my fire. Jesus is my life. Jesus is my hiding place. I love that psalm. Turn into song. You are my hiding place. And when I'm afraid, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. What's your hiding place? What are you warming yourself at going, if I just had this? Paul goes on. He says, verse 10, then you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, And the language of putting on means I'm going to activate this truth in my life by going deeper and applying it to every situation in my life. And you notice, he says, put on the new self. Activate this truth by being renewed in the knowledge. When you and I become a new man and a new woman, it's not to a new feeling. It's to new knowledge. Well, I don't feel righteous. I don't feel blameless. I don't feel holy. I don't even act like it. And Paul says, the battlefield is in our minds. Applying it to every situation means going back and saying, what does God have to say? Not my feelings have to say. What does God have to say? Not my feelings or my... What does God have to say about who I am? Here's what God says. Verse 12. Therefore... Oh, let's read this together. It's so powerful. Ready? As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. What does God say? Who are you? Chosen, holy, dearly loved. I don't feel it. Excuse me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't, God says, this is who you are. Benji, I'm going to need your help. Come on up. Come on up. It's your turn because Eddie Cho's not here this morning. So I'm going to need your help. I have to illustrate this for you. Stand right here. Stand right here, Bob. Stand right here. When Paul says, activate this truth by putting it on, he is saying, it's not about how you feel. It's not about even how you act. It's about going back to what you think. What does God say I am? Who does God say I am? And here's the thing. In our closet, spiritual closet, we have all kinds of things. In your closet, worthless, sinner, unworthy, unholy, unrighteous, reject, unapproved. Paul says, this is who you are. So go to your closet and... Put it on. All right, so first thing you put on is, go ahead. Everybody say this with me. Who are you? Say it again. Who are you? Are you putting it on? The enemy, first thing, alarm goes off. First thing, right? You wake up and the enemy goes, don't put on chosen, put on reject today. Put on, I need other affirmation today. Unholy thing. Put it up. and Paul says, "No, no, no." First thing you put on, chosen. Do you know why this is so powerful for me? Because it reminds me that like God, you didn't pick God. God, what picked you? Is that good news to anybody? When I preached, like just we did briefly three weeks so or four weeks ago, Annette, Annette, sitting here just weeping her eyes out. And I said, why? And she said this to me at home, in my house. She said, Pastor Peter, because all my life, all my life, it's been a struggle of would somebody pick me, somebody approve of me, somebody choose me. Think of all the dysfunctional things you and I do and ask this question. How much of that is because every day we're saying would somebody approve me, would somebody pick me, would somebody choose me. Do you know what this also means, ramifications? It means that God only loves you. Not only loves you. He likes you. I love my wife, but there are times when I don't like her. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Married couples, anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't leave me out in the dark. God goes, not only do I love you, he says, I actually what? I like you. That ought to just blow some of us away. So much so, look what he says in Ephesians. I love this passage. Ephesians chapter 1. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his and will. So if there's anybody sitting there going, well, why would God choose me? My girlfriend deselected me. My boss deselected me. My parents even deselected me. Why would God choose me? God goes, guess what I chose you? Before the world even came into being. God said, Benji, I choose you. Before your parents even met, I choose you. Good Lord. We need to stop here and go, if this truth just ever sank in, if this truth alone, just, if, He chose me. Again, I am telling you. How many of us are going to get up tomorrow morning and all the dysfunctional things we do is because we're desperately getting somebody notice me, somebody choose me, somebody affirm me, somebody... Nope, nope. I'm chosen secondly. Paul says, you are a... Say it with me. Peter, where do you get that from? Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, now I write to the... Go ahead, put it on. I write to the... Oh, is it tight? A little bit? Okay as I said like three weeks ago, of course it's going to be tight. I bought it, right? So, Eddie, Eddie, I thought was going to be, but this is perfect fit for you. This dude, this is. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the saying that goes, if it's like a glove, I I know what they mean by now, okay? Saint. Listen, very carefully. Listen, 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 very carefully. Listen. Sin sin make Sin may explain some of your activity, but sin doesn't ever determine your identity. Can I say it again? Sin may explain some of our activity, but sin will never, ever determine your, what? Identity. Paul says, sin that's who you were. That's who you, now, he says, verse 1-3, I write to the holy ones in Colossae. And the word holy ones literally means saint. Do you know what that means? That means that your sin and my sin, past, present, and future, are already forgiven. Our past I says past, present, and future, already forget. For anyway, our entire debt has been paid in full. When God looks at us right now, he says, I only see people who are in Christ, saints, not sinners. Is that good news? So question is, are you a, what's your Christian like? Are you a, a, a sinner trying to do a saintly thing once in a while if you're lucky? Is that your Christianity or is your Christianity, I am a saint. That's who I am. Christ has forgiven me past, present, future, all my sins. And he has clothed me with his righteousness. And I can still choose to sin and ignore everything that Christ is and everything he's done. But the Bible says, I am a saint. And then lastly, is what? Say it with me, is what? Beloved. I like it even more than the word dearly loved. Beloved. Put it on. Yes. You know, John 17 says, most of you know, believe, that God loves Jesus. Do you believe that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus? I'm serious. That when God looks at you and goes, yeah, I see my son. I see my son. I see beloved, saint chosen. This is who you are. And the enemy's going to come tomorrow morning and go, that's not who you are. Go to your closet, take off beloved, chosen only, put on reject, put on sinner. That's all you're going to be, just a sinner. Matter of fact, that's how you feel, isn't it? That's how you feel. That's what you believe. So put it on. And we say what? No, 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 no. I'm going to put on. I'm going to apply, live into the identity of who I am. And I am chosen. I am a saint. I am beloved. All we need right now is a three-piece suit. That's all you need. Now, why is this important? Because think about what would happen if Christians today would walk out into the world and go, this is who I am. I live into this identity. I am chosen of God. I am beloved. I am significant. I am significant. Not because I bought that stupid 39 I am significant talks, and I said to myself 18 times, you are significant, you are significant, and you will feel significant. I am significant because Christ died and rose from me. Stick that in your self-help manual. Can I get an Amen. I am significant because Christ died and rose for me and he has clothed me with beloved saint and chosen. Do you know how radical different our world would be if Christians would begin to live into this identity? Good Lord. Benji, thank you, brother. Have you bend your hand? No, no, don't take it off. Don't take it off. Are you hot? Okay, then you can take it off. I don't, I don't want you to be sitting there. Guys, look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Paul's entire teaching here and through the Old Testament is this. When you know who you are, when you know who you are in Christ and Christ in you, when you know what God has done for you, when you know that you're beloved, you're affirmed, you're chosen, you are His, when you know that and you begin to apply it. Paul's teaching is it will lead to the characters he talks about, compassion, humility, gentleness, patience. Paul's teaching is not try and work and make. His teaching is, no, 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 Clothe yourselves. Go deeper into it. Live into reality who you are. Apply it. Apply it. Go deeper into the beauty of the gospel and begin to apply it in your life. And the characteristic attributes, Galatians 5, through the Spirit, will be these things. We don't have time for all of it for the next five, seven minutes or so. Let me show you how going deeper into the gospel, deeper into who we are, meditating on Colossians 1 through 4, meditating on this is who you are, this is Christ's son, leads to these characteristic attributes. And it's not, I try hard to. Let me show you. Compassion. If you truly understood your acceptance and your affirmation of the freeness of God's grace and the freeness of his unconditional love, would that make you more compassionate or less? Church, why? I talk to Christians. You know who their mentality is when it comes to the poor, the marginalized? Christians, their mentality is this. I'm a Christian because of my good works. I'm a Christian because of my riches. I'm a Christian because I tried really, really hard. And that applies to every other area of their lives. I work for everything. I work super hard. I, I leveraged everything that I have and work really, really hard to get to where I'm, including salvation. So what happens when you look at someone who's poor? What happens when you look at someone who's poor? Do see, why don't you work hard? Why don't you work as hard as I did? Why don't you pull yourself by the bootstraps? I did, including my relationship with God. Why don't you work just as hard as I did? Do you know what a gospel-believing Christian does and says and why they are compassionate? Just yesterday I was having coffee with a white gentleman in our church who comes from a wealthy, middle, middle upper-middle-class white church in the suburbs of a certain part of America. And he says they are now venturing out to help those poor people over there on the other side of the railroad tracks. And I said to him, I said, do you know why that church will not move to help them unless they understand the gospel? Because their mentality will be, I work really hard to get to where I am. Why don't you? What does a gospel person do? Do you know what the gospel person does? He goes, I look at an emotionally messed up, financially messed up, physically messed up, mentally, emotionally messed up person. And I don't go, well, get your act together. How awful. I go, that is what I look like to Jesus apart from the gospel. My righteousness is like filthy rags. This is how God sees me, if not for Christ. How in the world could I look at anybody and say, work harder when Jesus Christ freely and unconditionally gave his life for me? Do you know why you and I don't have more compassion? It's not because we're not just more empathetic. It's because the gospel has not sunken, in, sunken, in, sunken, in, sunken to a point where we go, if not for Jesus, I'm in filthy rags. This is why Jesus says throughout the New Testament, what? How you treat the least of these is a sign of whether you truly understand that you are saved by grace and grace alone, or you think you're saved because of your righteousness. Humility. C.S. loose. that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but is thinking of yourself less. <laughs> you guys, you guys, for those of you going, I need to be more humble, I need to be more humble, you've already you've already lost. <laughs> Can I get an Amen? If you're sitting there going, I need to be more humble, I am going to try, even if it t- I am going to try, trust me, as a 44-year-old who struggled with this for all of his life, it doesn't work to go, I'm going to, here's the reason why. The reason why we're not more humble is this, okay, we have this thing called an ego. Nate, you know what I'm talking about? What, yeah. We have this thing called an ego, E-G-O, ego. Here's what our ego does. Our ego is every day constantly consumed with thoughts about ourselves. Like, what do they think of me? What are they saying about me? Why are they saying that? Why are you turning me away? Why is he saying that? Why is it my boss? Da, 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 why? We are constantly thinking of ourselves. And so here's what happens. We go from, when somebody criticizes us, we go from, oh my gosh, they criticize me. I am the worstest, most worthless thing in the human being in the world. And we are crushed and devastated by criticism. Or, when somebody compliments us, our ego's you're a big head. I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. And so, even on a given day, we go from I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread to I am totally worthless. I am totally worthless to I'm the greatest thing in the world. The thing that we have in common, though, in all these things is that you are constantly thinking about who. The beautiful thing about the gospel is it absolutely destroys our ego in a good way. Because here's the gospel the gospel says, uh, although you are more wicked and sinful than you ever dare believe, you are more accepted and love than you dared hope at the same time. So here's what God, the, so e, when someone's crushed, our ego goes, oh, I'm worthless. Oh, my boss thinks this. She thinks this. He thinks that I am worthless. And we consume with thoughts about ourselves. The gospel comes and goes, hey, ego, shut up. Ego, shut up. Ego, shut the front door. Why? Because truth is, you're actually way worse than what they said about you. But the creator God of the universe loves you and accepts you and says you're chosen and your ego goes what do i do with that and then when somebody compliments us says and we go oh i'm getting a big head i'm the grazing slice bread gospel comes and goes shut the front door ego shut up shut ego ego down boy down boy down boy because they only happen to see the good side of you and let's face it even the good side of you is only there because of god's grace and grace alone so he gets all the credit from beginning to end. And your ego just doesn't know what to do with that. And you know what happens? You stop thinking about yourself. Third. Oh, John Newton quote. Can I just put it up there? John Newton. John Newton said this, A real Christian finds the worst times tolerable and the best times leaveable. I love that. You'll find the worst criticisms tolerable because you'll go, who cares? Are you kidding me? You, I am loved, chosen, beloved by, by the creator of the world. And the ego goes, I don't know what to do with that. Of course you don't. The best compliments, leaveable. I don't live on this. I don't need this tomorrow. I don't need this. I am significant, loved, chosen by God. And the result is humble, confident, joy. Okay, third, kindness. Kindness is the active response of compassion. Here's the way I would define kindness. Kindness is the desire and willingness to address the needs and hurts of others. That means opposite of kindness is not meanness. Listen very carefully. Opposite of kindness is not meanness. Opposite of kindness is self-absorbed obliviousness to the needs and hurts of others. Do you know why many of us are oblivious to the needs and hurts of others? It's not because we're mean people. We are literally self-absorbed and full of ourselves. Can I say that here? And don't think caricature, full of yourself, somebody who's arrogant. We're full of our worries. We're full of our concerns. We're self-absorbed with our needs. We're self-absorbed where we are. We are literally, every second of a moment of our lives, constantly. Please, again, don't think self-absorbed, full of themselves, and think somebody who's arrogant and blah, blah, blah. Think of somebody who's constantly going, My worries, my needs, my desires, my worries, my plans, my job, my marriage, my, 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 my. You know what happens? You are so consumed and filled with yourself that there's actually no room in your life for the concerns and needs of others. What will free you of that? Well, I'm going to try to be more kind. I'm going to listen to that 10-part message on how to be more kind. No. You go deeper into the gospel. Because when you realize you're chosen, you're loved, you know what happens? You go into your classroom. You go to your workplace. You go to your neighborhood, and you're not going. Will somebody notice me? Will somebody affirm me? Will somebody? You walk into those settings and go, "That's all settled. I'm chosen. I'm beloved. I'm the holy saint." Now, who else is in need? Who else needs Jesus here? Because my needs—they've been met. They've been met. I'm a fir- I'm t- They've been met. So I'm going to look out now for once. I'm going to look outside of myself for once and go, "Who's in need?" Who needs Jesus? Who's hurting here? Are you self absorbed and full of yourself? (laughs) Wow. (sighs) Amen, brother. You guys, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? If we're going to unleash this movement in Chicago and the world to address the hurting needs, we first need to start from here. You need to get to a place where you go, my needs, my desires, my wishes are met and settled in Christ. Now who besides me needs Jesus? When that happens... In this church, you're not walking in. you're going, why won't somebody talk to me? Why won't somebody notice me? Why won't somebody love me? Why won't somebody pray for me? You're walking in, you're going, I'm already full of Jesus. Who can I talk to? Who can I need? Who can I minister to? Who's hurting? How many of us walk into church, who's going to notice me? Who's going to need me? You're self-absorbed. You're full of yourself. Solution? Jesus jesus get full on him get full on him joy joy i have always said to you guys about the big difference between a person who knows that they're sinners saved by grace and a person who sort of believes that god has accepted them to their own moral efforts are you a christian and a moral religious person goes i'm trying why do you ask Do I not look like it? Do I not act like it? What's blah, blah, blah. Or, 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 if you're doing well, are you a Christian? You better, you better be downright. Are you? Are you? Are you a Christian? You know what a Christian, you know what somebody who believes the gospel? And I, I am praying this for my sabbatical. When, so, when someone has gone deep in the gospel, when somebody goes, Are you a Christian? Do you know what your answer is? You go, Yeah, me. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Me. God chose me. There's a wonder. There's a playfulness. <sighs> You're 24 years old, and you have no playfulness and wonder about you anymore. Do you know why? Well, oh, it's my work, and I'm busy, and my career, and her. And him. No, it's because you've lost the wonder of the fact that God looked at you and said, I choose Half of y'all, you should look at yourself when you're walking on Sundays, I'm trying, Lord, I'm trying, you know I'm trying. Even right now, even throughout this message, you're sitting there going, "Lord, you know I'm trying. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to be a good Christian. There's no wonder, there's no playfulness, there's no awe. I want to be like my son Noah. I want to be like my son Noah." He sees me on a Sunday morning and he'll he'll run down the aisle and he'll jump in my arms, smile from grin to grin because he knows he's loved. He knows he's accepted. It's the best thing to do when God chooses you is to run to him is to run down. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I could go. Forgiveness is like cancer. Forgiveness and lack of forgiveness leads to bitterness. Bitterness leads to hardening of our hearts. And when your heart is hardened, your incapable of loving, and when you're incapable of loving or receiving love, all your relationships suffer. But the beginning point of forgiveness, this is so common sense. Jesus said, Matthew 18, if you know that you have been forgiven an unpayable debt, what possible debt is there that you couldn't forgive? If you know that you've been forgiven an unpayable debt, Matthew 18, Jesus said it over again, what possible reason could you have for not forgiving that person right now? That is causing bitterness. That has caused hardness of your heart. That has caused your inability to love or receive love, which has caused you like a toxic cancer to grow inside you. The reason why you and I can't forgive is not because we're just not, you know, the forgiving type. It's because the truth of the gospel is not real jesus said as plainly as possible forgiveness not shown is forgiveness not known there's no better way to tell whether you truly embrace the gospel and whether you can forgive one more we can go on but time one more is love after all these just put on love and this is my definition of what it means to bind everything together in love love is serving the needs of others for their sake and not yours if you're grown in love you won't give up on people Let me say that again. If you're growing in love, you don't ever give up on people. Well, I'm through with her. Oh, this is the last time. I can't extend any more grace. (laughs) Listen to yourself myself. If the gospel became real to you, if the gospel became, that God would never give up on you, would you give up on people? If the gospel became real to you, and man, is God patient with you? And you can't be patient with somebody else. You're growing in love, not because you're just a loving type of trying. The gospel explodes in your heart and goes, whoo, he would never give up on me. He told me so. I'm sealed in him. He can't. Giving up on me is like giving up on him. He'll never give up on him. Wait a minute. And I have the list of these people who are going, if you do that one more time, we're done. Well, if you fall into that temple. Well, not only do you not give up on people, but you begin to serve the needs of others for their sake and not yours. (laughs) How in the world would you and I be able to grow in love where we serve the needs of others and not us unless we come to recognize that Jesus loved us at an infinite cost himself and he got nothing? Growing in love. By the way, in case you're going, oh, I don't think those are very important qualities. Really? Really? Tell me the kind of qualities that you'd want in someone that you want to spend the rest of your life with. Are these important? Let me leave you with this. So, Peter, I got to try. No, no, no. Here's what I've done. Here's one simple application. I've tried in my life every morning, read Scripture through this gospel prayer, this gospel prayer. And I have this ready for anybody that wants it. It's a simple prayer that takes no more than a minute that I pray to get the gospel and I dig it in. First, is this? Let's say that, let's pray this together. Just a prayer part. Ready? God, because I am in Christ, I know there is nothing I can do today that would make you love me anymore. And there is nothing I have done that makes you love me any less. See, if the gospel is real, it's preposterous to think that anything you do will either make God love you more or love you less. Second prayer is this. Say it with me. God, your presence and approval is all I need to have joy today. How many of us need to pray this tomorrow? This is a prayer that words against our natural proclivity to idolatry is saying, It's not their affirmation, their approval. I have all that I need. And third, say this with me. God, everything in the gospel tells me about your intentions for my life is true. In the gospel, God shows me that his intentions for me are blessing and not cursing. Hope, not despair. And resurrection and not death. And this completely changes our perspective of how we approach today. Because when I go, oh, I'm so worried about my future and my family, you know, we go, you got this, right? God's going, I got it. Can you handle it, God? <laughs> I think so. Like I made things out of dirt. I think I can handle this. And literally, sky's the limit. And we begin to expect great things from God, but also attempt great things from God. I'm going away, and I'll be back in September. Selfishly, the last four sermons on this sermon series was preached to myself. So I appreciate those of you that showed up to actually listen in on my own conversation with myself and God. I've said to you for the last few weeks, I want to be clear. There is no moral scandal, no fina- like. There's nothing like. You're not gonna see me on Fox News. Peter Hong, passive new community. Oh no, you're not gonna see that. Okay, <laughs> ask my wife. You ask my children. Things are okay. Things are. But in my soul, for the last couple of years, I've dug really deep in to try and find my identity in what I do, and not who I am in Christ. And it's worn my soul out. I thought about being a tough guy and be like, I'll show all those people you can do this. And And then the Holy Spirit slapped me outside the head and go, are you stupid? And I wanted to do that because not only because I wanted to show you that I'm a tough guy, but I hate being vulnerable. I hate showing my weakness. I hate letting people know that I'm in need. I hate it. I hate it. But you need to know that I'm weak. You need to know that I have issues. You need to know that I'm vulnerable. And you need to know that I'm not all that. I'm praying that what I preached on for the last four weeks, that I would find my hiding place in Jesus. That I would find my righteousness, my life. I would warm myself and my soul at the fire of the unmatched beauty of the gospel of Jesus.